Welcome to the Disney Wedding Podcast, brought to you by Passporter's Disney Weddings and Honeymoons, the only guidebook and bridal organizer tailored exclusively to Disney's fairy tale weddings. I'm your host, Carrie Hayward. Each week I feature a different aspect of Disney weddings, from the latest news, information, and money-saving tips, to interviews with wedding vendors and real Disney brides and grooms. I also cover honeymoons, anniversaries, and engagements at the Disney parks and resorts. Join me now as the Disney Wedding Podcast celebrates romance at Disney destinations worldwide. Today on the Disney Wedding Podcast, I welcome back to the show Amanda Veroni, who was on last year to talk about budget tips for floral and decor because in addition to being a Disney bride, she is also a florist. And she had such great information for that show that I thought it would be fun to have her back on to talk about floral basics. Because depending on what kind of person you are, maybe you love flowers and you know exactly what kind of flowers you want for your wedding, but a lot of people get to that stage of the planning and they have no clue what they want and they don't even know where to start. So today's show is going to talk you through some of the basics of working with Disney on your flowers, what are some low-cost alternatives to popular flowers, which flowers are in season when, all the kind of basic information that if you're armed with that when you go into your planning session, it will really help speed things up and get you exactly what you are envisioning for your wedding. So welcome, Amanda. Hello. (laughs) Thanks for coming back on the show today. I'm really excited for you to share your professional knowledge and your experience as a Disney bride to help future Disney brides make their best decisions for floral and decor. Great. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) So first of all, tell us a little bit about your background as a florist. Well, I graduated from an art school. I was an interior design major, supposed to be an interior designer, that sort of thing. So I have a passion for art settings, um, themes, personalities, that sort of thing. Well, I couldn't get a job. I graduated in 09 and I just started doing wedding flowers for friends and family, that sort of thing. And it ended up turning into a business. So it we changed into a retail business and then we ended up doing so many weddings every year that we modified our business and changed it into just doing weddings. So now I do about 50 weddings a year. So that's what I do. Wow. Yep. That's a lot. And you had to do all of this while you were planning your own wedding at Walt Disney World. Yes. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, let's talk about what are the basic floral decisions that wishes brides have to make during and after their planning sessions? Well, during the session, they're really going over like all the counts of everything, like the boutonnieres, corsages, um, if they need ceremony flowers at like the altar, how many pieces they need at the reception, entry table, that sort of stuff is what you really go over at the planning session. And and they give you that kind of questionnaire before you go. So you already kind of fill everything out that you need. But when I went, I actually wasn't even prepared, which is kind of weird. You would think I should have been. But I went in there not really knowing what I wanted our colors to be. I kind of had an idea, but hadn't really started kind of either buying little things to kind of make that color vision happen. So I hadn't picked out dresses. I hadn't really picked out anything and decided like really on a theme. So when I went there, it kind of hurt me, you know, in that aspect that I I wasn't prepared because I wasn't able to go ahead and pick out linens and napkins and everything. So we ended up having to do that all 
over the phone and via email. And she had to mail me swatches of napkins and linens, which took a while to get that kind of sorted out while we're trying to plan everything. So I wish I had gotten that sort of stuff figured out before I went. So it would be great that before they go to their planning session to make it more efficient and so that they really get the most out of that planning session is to have, you know, the bridesmaid gowns sorted out in terms of colors and textures and really what they want their space to feel like. I I think they need to make sure to figure that sort of stuff out before they go. Um, And I think that's a good point that you don't necessarily need to know, okay, I want chiffon and it has to be Pantone Blue 350. But, you know, you need to have some sort of basic idea to start with. And then you can work with the florist during your planning session and after. Right. Yeah. Because then if I would have had that stuff figured out when I was there, then after it could have just been finalizing details and changing the counts of how many uh, centerpieces were needed or that sort of thing. Because at that point, I picked out completely different flowers when I was there and met with the floral planner and the linens, we picked out completely different linens. So based on a color scheme that I thought we were going to do. So it really was kind of pointless to even meet with her at that point, having not sorted anything out. But so basically the decisions that you make then at your planning session for floral, really, in order to get the best out of it, you'd want to have all the other base information (laughs) sorted out first so that you really get a lot out of your planning session. I don't know if that really answers the question, but. (laughs) No, yeah, no, that's a great point because, yeah, there is some preparation. And, you know, and I often tell people, don't worry about it. Nothing's set in stone. If you decide to change everything after your planning session, it's okay. But you make a good point that, especially for something as specific as floral and decor, where colors can be very personal and very specific, it really helps if you know those beforehand. Right, because, I mean, just the change of a color of the linen or, you know, say you change the bridesmaid gowns from a coral to like a peach, it might affect what kind of flowers that you already chose. You might have to completely go back to the drawing board and change all of your flowers. Even though you think you might have been on target with the color, you might have to overhaul everything and completely change it. So decisions that you make during the planning session about your flowers are basically about all your counts of everything, Um, deciding the exact colors, the exact types of flowers, like, oh, I'm going to do a black Baccaro rose. Well, you know, you wouldn't want to pick that color rose for your bridal bouquets if the gowns were the same color. So really... to make those little detailed decisions that are that might end up giving you a headache because it's so detailed and so meticulous to pick all that stuff it would be best to you know have all your other stuff sorted out so that it's efficient having the appointment <laughs> <laughs> that's cool talking about this season has a big impact on the types and prices of flowers that will be available to you can you give us a quick rundown of which popular flowers are available in each season Yeah, the popular things right now are really like your ranunculus, sweet pea, anemones with the black centers. Lots of brides love those. Peonies, lysianthus, dahlias, things like that. So if you want ranunculus, tulips, sweet peas, or anemones, you'd want to have your wedding in the winter or spring. They are seen at other times of the year, but really their best time of the year is winter and spring. May and June for peonies. If you want peonies, get married in May or June. (laughs) Summertime is lilies, mainly pretty much lilies and things like lysianthus. That's not too popular of one, but we use it in most of our weddings as an accent flower. 
for summer and fallish time, dahlias and zinnias. Dahlias are pretty popular this past yearish. Well, they were popular before then, but they've just become extremely popular this past year or two. And then fall, things like the dark, deep, dark colors of the pinks and purples of hydrangeas. Dahlias, again, uh, sunflowers, grasses, that sort of thing. Hydrangeas, roses, orchids, calla lilies, carnations, garden roses. Those are all year-round kind of flowers. So just certain colors are available certain times of the year. But overall, those flower types are year-round. That's interesting. And yeah, it turned out when I was looking at all the floral cards, it turned out that my favorite flower was Dahlia. I had never known what it was called. And they were not in season in February, but Disney was able to get me some. They were a little peaky. They were kind of curling a little bit at the edges, but I thought they looked great in photos. But Disney has ways and means of getting stuff, but there are certain things that sometimes you just can't get. So that's something to keep in mind if you have your heart set, like you say, on peonies or something that are so seasonally specific. Right. That if you get it out of season, you might be able to get it, but it might not look its best. It might not be nice and fluffy like a peony normally is. Like sometimes in July, peonies will look like they're kind of papery. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So now you talked a little bit about dahlias being popular lately. What other kinds of trends are you seeing in wedding floral and decor? The past like year and a half, there was the whole, well, it still is, but the burlap, vintage, um, like antique type of style. I don't know exactly what term I should use for it, but it's characterized by the burlap, the twine, kind of a hand-picked look with the flowers. They look like you kind of got them from a field or something like that. Using antique containers, things that are, you know, brides collect and bring to us, that sort of thing. But recently, it started to kind of move towards more of that whole 1920s inspired vintage that's more opulent, more decadent, that sort of thing with the gold coloring, um, rich textures like velvets and things like that. Still the lace, but more beaded lace. That seems to be more popular uh, recently with the whole Great Gatsby theme. Uh, So we started seeing more of that and less of the whole vintage that was more country vintage, I guess you could say. I don't really know how to you know, say it without sounding weird, but... (laughs) (laughs) No, that's a good distinction that it's it's sort of like that antique country barn wedding versus glamorous Manhattan art deco. Right, exactly. So we're kind of seeing it trend a little bit more towards the opulent side of the vintage kind of thing, more Hollywood glamour type of vibe, which is has made a lot of moms happy because with the whole burlap twine lace thing, I, I would have brides come in with their mom and the mom was just like, that looks country to me. That looks very, you know, I could have made it kind of shabby chicish. And a lot of the moms don't really like it. I don't, I don't know if it's a generational thing or what, but now that it started to go towards more of the, you know, more of an opulent kind of glamorous type of vibe of the vintage, I've noticed a lot of moms are more on board about that. <laughs> That's fascinating. What an interesting point. Well, now let's talk a little bit about price then. I'm going to go over some of the average Disney prices for the basic floral elements like bouquets and altarpieces, and maybe you can speak to whether you consider these to be average in the real world. Again, these are average prices. This is not to say that if Disney says the average for a bridal bouquet is $250. Yours won't be $500 because you want some crazy impossible flower to get. So, but um, just going down the list, bridal bouquets, they say $250 is an average. Maid of honor or bridesmaids bouquets are around $125. Flower girl baskets, usually about $55. 
Corsages for mothers and grandmothers, $21. A toss bouquet is around $35. Boutonnieres start at $10.50. Centerpieces, they say, start at $75. Obviously, if you just wanted a single candle floating in a bowl of water, that's going to be a lot less. Right. Um, Chair covers and bows start at eight fifty. Chiavari chairs, they have a new supplier and they've gone down in the last couple of years. I think now you can get them for as low as ten or eleven dollars each. Oh. The ceremony or altar arrangements started around $175. Floral for your cake topper or for your cake table decor starts around $75. If you want a hoopah at the wedding pavilion or any kind of canopy, that starts at about $250. And if you want it decorated with flowers, then that starts at about $350. That's pretty accurate. Well, relative to what we charge here locally in somewhat northern Virginia, we're a little bit south of D.C., but... Those are pretty accurate to what we charge. The prices that we list as kind of our averages are pretty close. I mean, it's pretty right around that. Of course, you could do something or get away with something that's a little, you know, on the less expensive side compared to their prices. Like, say, if you had a bridal bouquet at, you know, 150 or something like that. But, you know, you wouldn't expect to have more of your premium blooms. You'd have a smaller bouquet, different flower types. So, really, it would be, you know, it's recommended to be up in that range if you want to nice full bouquet of a nice mixture of flowers. So yeah, that's pretty accurate what you know we would say. That's cool. Now what sorts of requests drive prices up? Like say you ask for garden roses instead of standard roses. Yes. Garden roses, that's the biggest one. Those are one of the most expensive types of flowers, which comes as a shock to most people because you would think, oh, it's just a rose. It's not going to be that much more expensive, but they're actually about three times the cost of a standard rose. They're even more expensive than a peony. So if that puts it in perspective, (laughs) yeah, they're pretty pricey. Um, Some of them, like the Juliet Garden Rose, that peach one, you're talking $17 a stem for kind of your average florist pricing. And that's just per stem. So, and it seems that the way Disney charges, it it seemed pretty accurate. Somebody was talking about garden roses on a, one of the Disney pages or something. And the way she described the amounts of flowers that she had and that it had garden roses, it sounded like the right price. So it's not like they're marking it up a crazy amount. It's actually, it's pretty accurate for its industry standard. Right. And I think that Disney was saying they have to order them by the box. So even mm-hmm. if you only want a bouquet, they have to order an entire box. Correct. Yes. That's interesting. Anything else like that that people might be unaware that, you know, they might just idly say, hey, I want to composite bouquets or something like that, not realizing that that way jacks up the price. Right. Like anything that involves a lot of labor, anything labor intensive is going to jack the price up because that, you know, they add a labor charge. So it's not just in the cost of the goods. It's in the flowers. It's it's in the cost of the labor, too. So things like that that look like very meticulous to make, that might be a red flag that it might be kind of expensive. What else? Things like phalaenopsis orchids, like one stem, you're talking $75 for one stem. Yeah. I mean, it's got quite a lot of blooms on it, like eight-ish blooms on it most of the time, but still, I mean, that's pretty high. Stephanotis, I don't know how Disney charges for their Stephanotis because a lot of brides seem to have it, but Stephanotis is a surprisingly very expensive flower. And that's mainly because it comes as a bloom. It's a, it comes, I guess it's a form of jasmine, I think it 
it is. I, I never use it, but you have to put a stem on it and you have to, you know, make it into a flower. Like you have to add a stem to the bloom. So that, you know, that's labor right there that needs to be added. So I'm not sure how Disney charges for their stuff and Otis, but I would think that if it's industry standard, like all their other prices are, that that would be something that kind of adds a good chunk Interesting. to cost. Yeah. So then what are some good lower cost substitution flowers? Well, for things like garden roses, and I think we talked about this before, but with the way Disney does their regular roses, they don't, like me, a, you know, a little small business, we just take the roses, we leave them out overnight, let them blow open. Well, technically, you're, you're aging the flower. You're technically kind of killing it faster <laughs> to get it to open like that and have the nice fluffy soft petals. Well, Disney doesn't do that, and I think it's mainly because of the, you know, the heat, um, they don't want to age a flower any faster than the heat might get to it. So I think that's why they don't do that. And that's why they offer garden roses for the brides that want them nice and open. I mean, if it wasn't a Disney wedding, then I would say I would recommend do that. But I, I think Disney's just against that idea of blowing them open. So I would say that would be an alternative for anywhere else but Disney or wherever it's not warm like it is down there. Well, it's tough because certain flowers like orchids, uh, calla lilies, they really don't have a substitute. The places where you could sub is like garden roses. If you say you want a garden roses in your entire wedding or something like that, well, just do them in the places where they're going to be seen the most, like the bouquets, boutonnieres, that sort of thing, corsages. And then just do, you know, your standard roses at the reception. The darker toned hydrangeas, like the purples, the blues, the the dark pinks, that sort of thing, those, like I was saying earlier, kind of like double, triple, sometimes even quadruple the cost of like your standard white or light blue. So if you if you'd be able to swap those out, say you ordered those and your you know your centerpieces are ridiculously high and you wanted to make them a lot lower, you could do something like white hydrangeas or some light blue ones, something like that. Or I don't know if Disney dyes their hydrangea or if they dye any of their flowers. We do. We dip hydrangea. Sometimes we'll dip a light blue one into a dark blue or a purple paint and it dyes it and it makes it actually look like it grew like that. Not like the ones you see at the grocery store that are fake spray <laughs> dyed or whatever. I don't know if they offer that sort of thing. And I think that'd be interesting to find out. But that's what we do for our brides that don't want to pay that price for the ones that are actually grown that color will dip dye them in it it's a floral dye so i don't know that would be a good alternative but i don't know if disney does that what about some filler flowers like okay i can afford this many orchids what are some other things i can put around them to make it as big as i want the bouquet to be without paying for all orchids in like a centerpiece or something like that i would say adding in hydrangea that sort of thing foliage foliage is great of course, staying away from the more expensive types. <laughs> but, I mean, things like hydrangea and roses, they really fill up very well for their cost. There's even green hydrangea that kind of blends with a lot of different colors of orchids and things like that. What about carnations? I know they're really controversial because some people, I think especially the mother generation, have a horror of carnations because they're seen as like cheap grocery store flowers. But then every once in a while you'll see a wedding magazine spread where it's like, hip new things you can do with carnations. <laughs> Yeah, there's, I mean, there's some beautiful colors of carnations. There's um, brilliant purples and lavenders and not hot, hot pinks, but more of your um, purpley pinks. Oh, gorgeous colors that 
a lot of brides, when I talk to them and we're going over all their flower types, they don't even realize that they're carnations. But I'll show them to them if they're in their colored scheme. I'll say, hey, what about adding in some carnations to kind of keep a hold on the cause so it doesn't skyrocket? And it, they're gorgeous. And they'll be, what, two bucks a stem, something like that? They're adorable. So that's a great thing to fill with. A lot of these new things like the Crispedia, also known as Billy Balls, that sort of stuff, they're tiny. So a lot of people think that, oh, it's only $1.50 for that little stem. But they don't fill up much space. So things like that can kind of, all the little teeny tiny flowers can surprisingly make things cost more than they really need to. Interesting. So what are some bigger flowers? I know hydrangeas are pretty big. Well, there's lilies, but it seems that a lot of brides this the past two years that I've talked to are like anti-lily. I don't know if they'll make a comeback at any point, but... There are really pretty dark tones of like the dark pinks, dark reds, stuff like that. They fill up really nice. Orange ones, yellow ones, those are a great filler for in terms of cost. Yeah, I mean, hydrangea is such a, a big one. And I think that's why you see it so often in, in all these like opulent weddings, um, you know, like Preston Bailey, all that stuff. You see it mostly hydrangea and then it's accented with your orchids and your roses, that sort of thing to give it the texture. But I mean, most of the time when I talk to a bride about her reception flowers and she just wants really more volume and then she wants to kind of modify it to her colors and her textures, that sort of thing. I, I say start with like a base of hydrangea and then kind of adding in her flowers, other flowers that she might have in her bouquet to tie it all together. Of course, choosing a hydrangea color that coordinates with her flowers, that sort of thing. But And then let's talk a little bit about non-floral centerpiece alternatives, because I think these have become more popular recently. And like we said, you could do a single votive floating in a bowl of water. But what are some more interesting kind of fun and maybe bigger things you could do instead of flowers for your centerpieces? I'm a huge fan of lanterns, mm. candles, in glass vases, that sort of thing. My original idea for our reception was to do... Um, because we kind of had like an underwater theme and I was going to have them do basically tiered um, cylinder vases filled with water and floating candles. I was just going to do something just simple like that. But I've done weddings before where we do, like I was just saying, you have your tiers of your cylinders filled with water and your floating candles. And then you just put, if you want to get into a little bit of flowers and add a little bit of fluffiness, you can add petals to the base of that. And it looks so romantic. It sounds so simple, but I've done weddings before where the guests came in while, you know, we're finishing up. And it it has a wow factor. It really does, surprisingly. Just a good group of five or six candles with some, you know, water to reflect the light. And I'd add some rose petals in there, but. <laughs> oh, and of course, then there's the limit. I believe it's three flames at Disney. They're only allowed to have three flames per table. Three flame limit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then you could do, um, for the brides that are okay with the LED light, you can do those flameless things. Right. Um, but still, I mean, you could do the three and then have some petals or something on the table or just do lanterns. We had lanterns at our reception because we kind of had like a pirate theme. But we had like little Moroccan lanterns everywhere that had the little LED lights in them. And it just kind of adds a, an ambiance a mood, even though it's not flowers and it wasn't filling the space with flowers, it still made it nice and soft and romantic. So as much candlelight as you can get in there under their rules. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Right. 
So then what are some lesser known or unusual ways to save money on floral and decor? My first one, and this is kind of weird because it's not flowers, but my first recommendation is to upgrade linens because it can really transform a space just by changing the color of a linen. And then you don't really have to, like, for example, going back to talking about you know, hydrangea colors, you could modify the colors of the flowers that go into your centerpieces and, you know, say that purple hydrangea is much more expensive than a white, you could just do a purple linen and have your flowers maybe be in the whites or something like that instead of just doing kind of your standard white linen or whatever, upgrading it to a purple linen or whatever your colors may be to add that pop of color to the room. And it might allow you to get some less expensive types of flowers. I think that's a really good point because I think just seeing upgraded linens they make it look that much classier. You aren't just in some banquet hall. And then like you say, so say you spent 25 extra bucks on a different tablecloth, but that's a lot less than another $100 centerpiece. Right. Yeah. And and then you could do something like, say you upgraded your linen to some sort of fancy pin tuck or something, and you wanted that to be purple and your colors are maybe purple and green. Well, you could do, you know, all sorts of green hydrangeas, that sort of thing in your centerpiece to kind of bulk it up, maybe add some other flowers in there, whether it was your roses, spray roses, whatever it's going to be. And then, you know, you could have one dramatic centerpiece on half of the tables And then in order to kind of cut your costs down, have the other half of the tables maybe be a smaller, lower than eye level kind of a centerpiece. So you have those kind of large centerpieces that fill the room, but then you've also got the smaller ones to kind of balance your pricing out so it doesn't skyrocket and be completely ridiculous. (laughs) So that's kind of like one thing I'll recommend to brides when they have like 25 tables and they're, but they have to have this tall candelabra centerpiece. Well, if you just do that on half of your tables and then the other half maybe do something low, it's a good way to kind of trim your costs without really ruining the look, I guess you could say. Mm. One thing that we did, which was might sound weird because I never have any bride that wants to do this sort of thing, but on our tables, we had this really tall, it was like, I think it was 24-inch tall, um, like Pilsner-shaped vase or something like that. And it had a topper arrangement of different types of foliage, like tea leaves, aspidistra, all sorts of big, huge, waxy-looking tropical leaves. But it was like 40 bucks, and that was it. It was, it was huge. I mean, of course, that fit with all the flowers that we were getting because we kind of had that tropical-ish kind of vibe. So it might not work with in all cases of brides that want to do um, lots of fluffy flowers that might not work for that situation. But then we had the tiered short faces down below that were underneath eye level that gave the color and the texture of what I did want. I just didn't have to have one large centerpiece of it. I just did a couple small ones to add that texture. And it was very romantic, filled the space. That combined with the linens really made the living seas, instead of it seeming so long and awkward of a space for 30 guests, it brought everything in and made everything very cozy. That's a good point. Is there any advantage to having, say, a Roman table or a U-shaped table or something not as popular as just a bunch of round tables? Like, could you get away with less floral and decor or does it average out to be about the same? Sometimes it can be more when you have like that's been another popular thing is those farm tables. It seems that because you have to do a a long centerpiece and really just doing one on a six foot table kind of looks a little silly sometimes. 
unless you do a nice fat one. But sometimes we have to do two of them. So it, it kind of depends on the type of container you want, the size of the arrangement. If you're kind of dotting little bud vases down the table, that, that's one thing that might be a lot less expensive, but sometimes it could backfire. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any advice for brides who might be frustrated in the beginning when it's hard to get specific pricing on floral and decor just because there are so many variables? That's the problem is that there are so many variables. It's not like your standard, oh, I'm just going to go to the store and I'm going to buy this and this is how much it costs. And if I want it in a different color, it's still the same price and it doesn't matter what time of the year. Well, it's weird with flowers because it could be different one year to the next. It could be different one month to the next. It really varies even by week. So getting some sweet peas in early November it would be double the cost of getting them in late November. So it really depends on the bride's exact date and what color of something that she's looking for. Like the purple sweet peas are going to be a lot more expensive than the white sweet peas. So it really depends on the exact flowers chosen, the date, all that sort of stuff. So I know a lot of brides get frustrated about that, but that really, that is why. It's not like they're just florists are lazy and they're just telling you, oh, we've got to give you a proposal, meet with us so we can tell you. It's, it's really true because it really does vary. So even though it might seem frustrating, it's something where the florist can really work with your budget and, okay, you love sweet peas. Well, then they tell you right then and there, okay, well, if you want these at this time of the year, I'd recommend maybe swapping to a white so that you don't have to pay double or triple since white still works with your price range. So experienced wedding florists can help you figure out what'll fit within your budget. Looking at a price online might be misleading. Even if you found something that was the exact arrangement that you wanted, just by swapping out some colors, it could be completely different. Interesting. One thing I was thinking about is some of the resources that Disney uses for decor are online for everyone to see. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of those that people can look at maybe while they're waiting to talk to a florist? Yes. When I was emailing back and forth with the floral planner, she you know, was sending me images from the website that, and obviously they weren't trying to you know, hide it from their clients or anything like that. So you know, I clicked on a picture and it took me to, and I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. I think it's Jamalai Gardens or something like that. I wish I knew how to pronounce it, but... <laughs> I'll put the link in the podcast post so people can go straight to it. <laughs> But um, I clicked on it and that has all the stuff that Disney would be, you know, the floral planner would be sending me like, oh, here's an option for this kind of lantern and here's an option for this kind of lantern. Well, if you want to kind of cut the waiting, you could just go right to that website and look at what Disney, you know, can get for you. And then to save yourself the trouble of ordering it from that company, of course, because Disney has to be the one providing it, I think, in most instances when they're using it for centerpieces and all that sort of stuff. But that's a good place to look and get an idea for what Disney's pricing would be because their rental charge is right around what the charge is for the item. So Interesting. And then I believe they also use linen showroom for their, you know, tablecloths, chair covers, napkins, things like that. Right. I guess that's the one that it was, but I remember when they gave me a link, I, I went right to it and then and then I could kind of shop around myself and look, okay, well, this is the one I want. I mean, Disney wants to be the one to help you customize your wedding. They want to be the one to help you pick everything out. And, and it is great that they do that for you because they're trying to help cut out your work so that 
you just tell them, oh, I want this purple linen and I want it to be, you know, textured or pin tuck. Well, they'll go find it for you and show you maybe the two options that they have in a purple so that you don't have to kind of go out and do all that. So they're doing that to help brides. But then for the ones that are curious that want to go looking themselves, you can go on there and look around and look at all the different options. So that's what I did. I'm picky like that. So. <laughs> One thing to consider is that in a few locations, because the number of locations is getting smaller by the month, it seems, if you are having a reception inside in a convention center, you are allowed to use outside vendors for various elements of decor and for floral. So you could have an outside florist. You could rent your chairs elsewhere, although at this point, I believe Disney's prices are comparable with outside vendors. Uh, You could get uplighting, linens, just about anything you can think of to decorate your reception you can go through an outside vendor and some brides have been able to do this and save a lot of money or get a lot more bang for their buck. My advice is for brides to research really weighing the cost comparison and then if you are saving money, how much money are you really saving and how much time and energy, I guess how much is your effort worth? Right. <laughs> I guess I could say. Yeah. Because if you're doing all this extra work to coordinate with the vendors, to make sure they're there on time, doing all that sort of stuff, not that that's like impossible or anything, not that I'm trying to talk it down, but, you know, time is money. So it kind of depends on how much money are you really saving? Is it really just, if you're saving overall $400 on your floral, would you rather not just, you know, have Disney do it and then you don't have to mess with it? I I don't know. It's just... Not that I'm trying to talk anybody out of it, but I really think that you kind of have to weigh the option of really, is it much cheaper? Should I just have them do it? Is it just easier for Disney to take care of it? Then I don't have to worry about it on my wedding day. That's how I was. I I didn't have the time or the means to research and find, you know, somebody else that could do linens and save me a hundred bucks. You know, it just... It wasn't worth it to me. I just would rather them have done it. So Right. That's a good point. I think it's we're all like some of us are extreme couponers and we right. love putting in the extra work and the elbow grease to save right. a bit of money. And some of us are like, you know what? I'm just gonna pay the extra and not have to fuss with it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I guess it just depends on the type of you know, the type of client that what you really wanna do. So Right. And now, uh, talking a little bit more about floral and decor inspiration, can you suggest places online that brides can go to get ideas if they are kind of starting from zero and they have no idea what they want? It's funny because I feel like Google nowadays, like typing into Google something, it doesn't really pull up a lot of newer floral trend type of stuff, which is kind of bizarre. I don't know why that is. But Usually when I'm meeting with a bride, I'll get into Pinterest and I'll look up things from there. So Pinterest is a big one. Um, I contribute monthly DIY floral projects to one called Green Wedding Shoes, but it is California-based. So different trends than what we have on the East Coast. Very cool, very artsy, fun blog to read, and they post stuff every day. Some other ones are Style Me Pretty then Southern Weddings Magazine. Rock and Roll Bride is like the namesake. It's just kind of very edgy, funky, cool. So those are kind of my favorites. Those kind of cover the different types of personalities for brides. The artsy one, the rock and roll one, the um, Southern Bride, and then um, Stommy Pretty's more pretty girly stuff, I guess you could say. So, So those are some good ones. Okay. That's great ideas. And then where can my listeners go to learn more about you and your business? 
Anthomanic.com, of course. And then we're on Instagram and Facebook. We're always posting pictures of our flowers. So <laughs> that's a good place for inspiration if you're looking for some up-to-date flowers. <laughs> that's great. Well, Amanda, I appreciate your taking the time to come back on the show today. I think you've offered a lot of great tips and maybe some ways to think about and approach the floral and decor that will sort of demystify it for those of us who aren't super into flowers and give some great ideas for things that brides can incorporate into their own weddings. So thank you. Great. And of course, if anybody has any questions, they can always Facebook me. I'm always willing to talk about some Disney wedding flowers. (laughs) (laughs) That's our show for today. If you enjoyed it, be sure to rate the Disney Wedding Podcast on iTunes so that others will find it. You can also send your comments, questions, and suggestions to info at DisneyWeddingPodcast.com. Past shows are available in iTunes and on the show's website. And for instant answers to all your Disney's Fairy Tale Weddings questions, check out Passporter's Disney Weddings and Honeymoons Guide. Available as an interactive ebook with continual free updates at passporter.com slash weddings.asp or in print at passporter.com and amazon.com. <laughs>